Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. The White House gearing up to expand organizing protections for farm workers. Sean Fain's message regarding the conflict in the Middle East. And today on the show, the North Shore AFL-CIO Federation of Labor and the president of the Writers Guild of America East. Welcome to the Thursday, December 21st edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. We have two guests on the show today. We're going to start things off with Len DeCosimo. Len is the Executive Secretary of the North Shore Federation of Labor. Website, real simple, NorthShoreAFLCIO.org. Man wears several hats. He's a musician, and he's also president of the American Federation of Musicians. That would be Local 4 in Northeastern Ohio. We're going to talk about the campaign to end gerrymandering in the state of Ohio. You're going to hear a whole lot about this next year. There's a Citizens Commission. They call it the Ohio Citizens Redistricting Commission to draw fair voting maps. We'll also touch on Senate Bill 83. We had a good conversation with uh, Melissa Cropper, president of the Ohio Federation of Teachers, on this on Tuesday. If you missed that show, awfpodcast.com. The uh, State House Committee voted to pass this, uh, what they call the Ohio Higher Education Enhancement Act by a slim majority, eight to seven. We'll also talk about support for a Cuyahoga Arts and Culture Levy, which they expect to be on the ballot in 2024. And uh, we'll see what else we can get out of Lynn as our first guest. By the way, the uh, North Shore AFL-CIO Federation of Labor is the organized voice for 85,000 working people from nearly 150 local unions in Cuyahoga, Lake, and Geauga counties. Later in the show, what we're going to do, we're starting this off from now until the end of the year, and it's our best of 2023 coverage. We're featuring some of our top guests from the year, and we are going to replay an interview that I did on August 31st with the newly elected president of the Writers Guild of America East. That's Lisa Takayuchi Cullen. Now, when we interviewed Lisa, she was actually a vice president of Writers Guild East, but then she became president months later. And she's going to talk about the strike. The uh, Writers Guild of America strike of 2023 was one of the longest strikes of the year. Started on May 2nd and ended on September 27th lasting 148 days and tied with the strike back in 1960 for the longest labor stoppage the WGA performed, only five days less than the strike going back to 1988. That strike lasted 153 days. Now, during Lisa's appearance, she spoke in detail about the strike, the support from the community, and how the energy on the picket line was a little bit different. Very interesting lady. She started out as a journalist. She uh, she wrote uh, kind of like a, a script for a TV show, and 
She didn't think that they would buy into it, and they bought into it, and now she's president of the WGA East. This is a union that was founded in 1954, and they represent writers with uh, motion pictures, TV, news, online, media, everything from big-budget movies to independent films to TV dramas, sitcoms, comedy, variety shows, you name it. Writers Guild of America East, WGAEast.org. Now... A look in the world of labor. This segment brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management, offering fixed income, real estate, and equity investment options to clients across the nation. The Biden administration is gearing up for litigation over Department of Labor regulations that intend to expand organizing protections for farm workers on temporary visas having been and remaining excluded from the National Labor Relations Act, farm workers lack the organizing protections that other employees enjoy. Now, this goes back to the 1930s when they wrote the National Labor Relations Act. Anybody that works, works on a farm was not, not included in that, and it's been like that since then. The Department of Labor's proposed rule would add new protections for worker self-advocacy, better protect workers against retaliation, make foreign labor recruitment more transparent, and enhance the department's enforcement. Now, of course, the Chamber of Commerce is already crying foul. They and allied critics have submitted public comments questioning whether certain components of the proposed rule are permissible under existing court precedent. And all those comments are available at regulations.gov, regulations.gov. Florida is considering legislation that would relax child labor restrictions, allowing high school students to work longer hours and perform Hazardous jobs under adult supervision. House Bill HB 49 would enable 16 and 17-year-olds to work extended hours, including at night, preempting local curfews, preventing late-night work. Another bill, SB 460, that proposes permitting teens to engage in construction work at heights over six feet, typically deemed hazardous by child labor laws. Now, the bills are part of a broader trend in states to ease restrictions on underage workers supported by industry groups seeking increased labor flexibility. They blame the the worker shortage. That's what they've been saying anyway. Opponents express concerns about potential negative impacts on school attendance as well as graduation rates and the risk of workplace exploitation including wage theft. Critics argue that families lacking economic means may be disproportionately affected. Now, the bills align with industry groups' efforts to address staffing shortages, with the Florida Restaurant and Lodging Association advocating for the removal of work hour restrictions for 16- and 17-year-olds. And while proponents emphasize alignment with federal labor laws and the need for skilled trades training, Opponents stress the importance of not compromising the safety and well-being of young workers. A new poll indicates that a majority of college athletes want to unionize. 
Well, the NCAA dropped its prohibition on permitting college athletes to profit off their names and likenesses. That happened two years ago. The National Labor Relations Board has not weighed in on the issue of whether athletes can form labor unions since 2015, when it declined to assert jurisdiction to answer the question of whether Northwestern University football players who received grant-in-aid scholarships were actually employees within the meaning of the National Labor Relations Act. Well, earlier this year, the Dartmouth men's basketball team petitioned the Labor Board for a union election, giving the board another opportunity to decide the question. Meanwhile, athletes in the Big Ten, the Big 12, Pac-12, and SEC, they all support unionizing. Sean Fain, president of the UAW, said that the union takes pride in standing up for justice both at home and around the globe. This is what he said. As union members, we know we must fight for all workers and suffering people around the world. We must fight for humanity. That means we must restore people's basic rights and allow water, food, fuel, humanitarian aid to enter Gaza. We must also call for the release of all hostages. Now, several other unions also joined the call for a ceasefire, including the three million member National Education Association and 1199 SEIU, which is the nation's largest health care union. On December 14th, leaders of the UAW, the American Postal Workers Union and the United Electrical Radio and Machine Workers of America held a press conference alongside Representative Rashida Talib, Representative Ro Khanna, as well as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, all calling for a permanent ceasefire. Representative Talib spoke of her family's connection to the labor movement, and this is what she said. I'm a proud daughter of a UAW worker, and I know my father, if he was here, he would be so proud. The UAW taught him he deserved human dignity, even though he only had a fourth-grade education, even though he was a Palestinian, even though he was a Muslim. On the assembly line, well, he was an equal to every single human being on that line. And who did that for him? The United Auto Workers did that for him. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Linda Cosimo on behalf of the North Shore AFL-CIO Federation of Labor. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. Are you an experienced mechanical insulator looking to take your career to the next level? Insulators Local 50 in Central Ohio has steady work for a number of years. Insulators Local 50 offers a total wage and benefits package that can't be beat. It's not just the competitive wages. Local 50 also provides medical, vision, and dental insurance with no paycheck deductions for you and your family. Don't miss out on the chance to secure your future. Join us at Insulators Local 50. Earn great pay and the best benefits. Visit insulators50.com forward slash AWF50 
to fill out the online form, and a local 50 representative will call to begin the process. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Iron Workers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SBS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency. You can find more at ulagency.org. Great event about a month ago in uh, downtown Cleveland at the Great Lakes Science Museum. And Mr. Linda Cosimo, who's joining us on our live line right now, was uh, one of the featured musicians playing some Doors music. You know, you really branched out there, Len. I mean, usually you do jazz at these events, but when you started playing the Doors that night, I said, who is this guy? How are we doing today, my brother? <laughs> hey, Flash. That was a great event, wasn't it? It's really good to get together annually to honor unsung heroes in the labor movements in this community yeah. and you know it's it's um we try to diversify ourselves in terms of the music just like we're diversified in the labor movement man absolutely absolutely i love that event because it showcases so many people that do a whole lot of work behind the scenes they just don't get the credit for during the year until that night so i got to hand it to uh, dave meganhart and the team over there at the ula for putting that together great event and i Truly enjoy being the MC of it, and I truly enjoy listening to uh, what you have to uh, put forth with your musical accomplishments over the years. Yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting year here, and that's exactly why we decided to have you on the show today to talk about 2023. Uh, last time you and I talked, you had that really nice deal at the uh, Cleveland Orchestra. Well, that was a right. was that a, th- a three year deal, right? Wasn't that a three year deal? That was a three-year deal. We were very happy. Both sides um, were very satisfied. And it it made uh, reverberations throughout the country in the symphonic world, not only with um, the the expertise and the calmness of the negotiations, but also with the fact we had an all-women orchestra committee for the first time in orchestral history. And it's about time for that, too. Yeah, that's great. So so you heard from other cities, other locals about what happened in Cleveland, Ohio then? Well, sure. And, you know, we, we have enclaves and we get together regularly and um, share, um, you know, the, the, the trials and tribulations of negotiating these major contracts. You know, uh, with, with the exception of, of the major sports teams in all of the markets in Ohio, the, the orchestra, the, the arts and entertainment industry, 
are the most branded labor contracts. And, and you know, my, my direction has always been finding ways to rebrand organized labor and show additional relevance in, in, in the communities we live in. And it's still a surprise that people um, don't realize that every member of the Cleveland Orchestra works under collective bargaining, and is a union member. We're proud of that, and we want to broadcast it. And you should be. Well, that uh, brings us to uh, the arts and culture levy that I guess is going to be on a county ballot next year. Is is that for sure? What, what do we know about that? It's not for certain yet, but there there is um, a lot of push from a lot of uh, the people in my circles that want to see Cuyahoga Arts and Culture Levy on the ballot next year. This is, again, something that we have here in Cuyahoga County that, that is the envy of my colleagues across the nation, that we have, a, we have an excise tax that is, that is funded directly to arts and culture. And so I've been reaching out to, you know, community leaders who are in the arts that um, we want to continue this. We're looking for ways to expand it as well. Um, and and uh, we, we're going to push for it on the ballot. Now, there's a possibility of more money coming in from the state. This would be state issue two. Where I, apparently, there's some revisions here. Can you explain what's going on here, Len? Well, the you know our state legislator Lature gets gets excited and uh, wants to revise the legalization that's already been passed, and this is one of them. And and a few of us were thinking that if issue two, which is the the legalization of marijuana, if there's a possibility of introducing a supplement to the tobacco tax that's affiliated with, with Cuyahoga Arts and Culture. Our, our Democratic uh, Senator from District 21, Kent Smith, has um, introduced a bipartisan bill with um, his colleague Jamie Callender. And, and those two got together during COVID to support the Save Our Stages Act. You know, looking for any sort of bipartisan legislation is always a good thing at any time. And this is something where, where in the, the House um, they're talking about that counties can levy a 3% excise tax for arts and culture with voter approval um, on the issue to uh, marijuana legalization. It would have a 10-year lifespan, and it would need a simple majority by the citizens of the county for it to pass. Um, uh, Kent is leading the way, and we're hopeful and optimistic that something's going to be done. Well, good. So 2024 is looking good already, especially when it comes to arts and culture. I like that. Now, that now we news. have yeah. now now let's go to the to the, the the sad state of politics, and that's the the maps, the the district maps here, and it's all part of what we call gerrymandering. And I know there's a commission that has been created to draw fair voting maps. In fact, the uh, the former chief justice of the Supreme Court of Ohio, Maureen O'Connor, was very mm. instrumental in getting this done. So uh, why don't you fill us in on, on what's going on here? Maybe you can explain this uh, redistricting commission and uh, will it be, I guess they're trying to get this on the November ballot in 2024, right? Yes. Uh, we are working with a group called um, citizens, not politicians. And you're right. It is time to end 
gerrymandering in Ohio. It is time for um, the, the politicians to not choose their voters, but have the voters choose their politicians. Um, you know, these these voting districts are manipulated to protect the interests and, and guard re-elections. But this effort will create a 15-member Ohio Citizens Redistricting Commission. And it's going to be bipartisan again. It's made up of, you know, people who believe in all stripes of, of political party um, and who broadly represent, you know, every geographical area and every demographic in this state. There's going, there's going to be a restriction on banning current or former politicians or political party officials or lobbyists or large political donors from sitting on this commission. Um, it, it, we're right now in the process. Uh, we, we have a summary petition filed with, with the attorney general and we're collecting signatures right now. There's a statewide campaign going on, organized labor is involved, the North Coast Area Labor Federation, the North Shore Federation of Labor. Um, I, I have a petition that I have myself. Our goal here, um, according to statewide work with President Berga, is, is about seven or 8,000 votes, and we're looking to triple that. Good, good, good. Easily. And gerrymandering. Now, now, there was an attempt to do this in 2015 and I believe in uh, 2017. The, uh, the congressional maps and also the state maps, and apparently they just didn't abide by that. So this is a, a different way of doing kind of the same thing. But I like the idea of, well, what, 15 members. So you got five Republicans, five Democrats, five independents. And uh, keep, the, keep the lawmakers out of this. Keep them out of it. We can keep the parties. If you're a member of a certain party, that's okay. But uh, obviously, this is a good way. It's, it does restore some, uh, some balance to the decision-making when it comes to making these maps. We'll see what happens. Um, here's another thing here. Senate Bill 83 had a really good conversation with Melissa Cropper, who is the right. president. Yeah, great lady, also secretary-treasurer of the Ohio AFL-CIO. And this is an attack on, uh, on higher education here and collective bargaining. Now, they've tried to uh, make some compromises. And I know the North Shore Federation of Labor is uh, obviously throwing their opinions. What, uh, how are you framing this right now, and what's the game plan going ahead? Right. This is Senate Bill 83. Uh, if you spoke with uh, Sister Melissa, then you know it squeaked out of uh, committee of the state house by an eight to seven vote. The, uh, although I, I should also say that uh, House Speaker Jason Stevens is in the media um, claiming right now the bill in its current form is unlikely to pass. You know, Flash, this bill is in its uh, 11th version. It was introduced by State Senator Jerry Serino, and there is bipartisan support against the bill. We spoke in this in this session right now about bipartisan support being so important for to, to live in our communities, for, for the citizenry, regardless of what you believe in, in political um, theory. And there, as you said, there are there are some victories. The current version eliminated the anti-strike provision. Mm -hmm. But there's a new retrenchment of, that prohibits unions from negotiating on tenure. Um, um, you know, right now, the bill currently prohibits mandatory diversity, equity, and inclusion training unless it's a prerequisite to an accreditation 
or 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 or, or for grants for the organization, um, the education organization to to receive. Student associations are speaking out, um, which is healthy since it affects students most of all. They feel excluded from the policy making, and they're at the center of the issue. Um, it just to me it shows that decisions by supermajority legislatures many times are being made in silos with no regard for for the will of the people they serve or for the larger world beyond whatever their bias of the day is. Flash, do you know that this current issue targets academic partnerships with Chinese academic institutions? Now, if we're going to pick on sovereign countries, wouldn't North Korea be involved in that? But no, it's just Chinese academic institutions to protect U.S. intellectual property state and national security. Um, it seems like it's still filled with dog whistles. It's still a better bill than it is a gooder bill. And um, we're trying to make necessary changes to the best uh, way we can. Well, you did your homework on this when you threw a little Linda Cosmo humor in there. I like that. <laughs> a humor you, with every lesson flash. <laughs> you bottle up that energy and take it into 2024. And I know we'll have plenty to talk about with you in 2024. Linda Cosimo, Executive Secretary of the North Shore Federation of Labor, North Shore AFL-CIO.org. We're talking 85,000 working people from nearly 150 local unions in Cuyahoga Lake and Geauga counties, all northeast in Ohio. You stay safe, stay strong, brother, and uh, best of the holidays. Happy New Year. We'll talk to you uh, in January or February, okay, brother? Thank you, Flash. Happy holidays to everyone in Radio Land. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to replay our August 31st interview with the now newly elected president of the Writers Guild of America East. Back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A.org. The Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylights and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great ironworker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. This portion of the show brought to you by the International Union of Bricklayers and Allied Craftworkers. For more information, please visit BACWeb.org. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. 
SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwatterson.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. When you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers, oh.aft.org. As I indicated at the top of the show, what we're doing from now till the end of the year is playing some of our best interviews of 2023. And today, we're going to replay an interview that I did with the then vice president of the Writers Guild of America East. That would be Lisa Takayuchi Cullen. Now, after our interview, she became the president of the Writers Guild of America. Website, by the way, is wgaeast.org. And before we do that, we have an update here from the Writers Guild. Management at McGee Media, the nonfiction television production company founded by award-winning filmmaker Dylan McGee, has voluntarily recognized the Writers Guild of America East as the collective bargaining representative of the staff's creative professionals, including producers, production assistants, as well as researchers. So certainly good news. And it all fits in line with all the good things that are happening this year in organized labor. So let's go back to that interview with Lisa on August 31st. Let's go to New York City right now. Welcome a newcomer to the show. Her name is Lisa Takayuchi Cullen, and she is with Writers Guild of America East, which has been on strike since the beginning of May. Lisa, did I pronounce your name correctly? (laughs) Takayuchi, but close enough. Close enough. Takayuchi. Okay, well, thank you You for joining us today. It's good to get that out of the way. And uh, I read your bio. My gosh, you've done everything. TV writer, author, journalist, um, and author of two books. Uh, From your mouth to our airwaves over here, there's a lot in between. Uh, How long have you been doing this? Maybe you could run down a couple of shows that you were involved in. Go ahead. Sure. Like you say, I was a journalist for many years, mostly at Time Magazine, where I was a foreign correspondent and then a staff writer. I uh, published a couple of books, and then I stumbled into television writing by writing an article for Time Magazine that I thought for no good reason could become a television show. I had absolutely zero idea how to go about it. And it was just about the time, however, that uh, we were starting to realize that perhaps a print newsweekly magazine might not be the forever job that we thought it was. So I and my peers uh, were looking around and uh, thinking that, you know, perhaps it's time to uh, seek a different path. So I put up my hand for uh, 
for a package. And um, because I'd been at time for uh, a long time, I, I got a very generous buyout and um, used that, that uh, money and that time to learn a new craft, as so many Americans have to do these days. And uh, my, my one and only uh, skill is writing, um, that and extremely fast typing. Uh, so I figured uh, that, that I could I could really only look in a, in a few different uh, categories, um, and one of them was TV writing. Um, I got extremely lucky. I wrote a pilot uh, that uh, uh, was uh, the term is on spec, meaning that that it's on speculation, speculative that anybody will ever buy it or pay you money for it. Uh, but this one uh, sold to CBS and got made. And then um, I uh, got to uh, have the the extreme privilege of um, of entering this you know cabal of people who get to pitch and write television shows for a living. Um, so so that is what I have been doing. Um, I have worked on uh, some shows, uh, some you know already running shows as well, including Law and & Order SVU and an NBC show called Endgame. Um, and, uh, and I've, you know, I've been extremely um, fortunate uh, in this extremely difficult uh, profession. Um, but I, I see how the profession has changed even in the relatively short, uh, slightly over you know, 10 years that I have being part of it. Um, when I entered the profession, it was still uh, largely broadcast TV focused, um, meaning that most employment came from shows that ran on the broadcast networks, ABC, NBC, CBS, uh, Fox, the CW. And those shows provided a, a year's uh, wages as well as work. So a show like Law & Order, for instance, might uh, have 22 to 24 episodes per season. That's easily 40 weeks, 40 plus weeks of work for the writer. Not only that, you are producing while you are writing. So at SVU, for instance, the sound stages were just down the hall from the writer's room. So every day I'd wander down there and uh, grab a snack from Crafty and, and sit uh, in, in Video Village and, and get to you know be part of the action, learn how a show is produced, learn what role a writer plays uh, on set. Um, and that was a tremendous um, and valuable education for me. Um, and then on top of that are the residuals. So from a broadcast network, the residual system has long been what keeps writers alive during the the down seasons. So sure. when an episode that you wrote uh, reruns on cable or overseas, you get a, a really nice check. Um, and uh, and that, that check can pay a lot of bills um, in, between, in between seasons. And all of that has gone away in the time being uh, with the advent of streaming. So you took this giant leap in life as a journalist. You go in as a TV and movie writer, and then, like you said, I mean, it's it's it, things were going really, really well, and then all of a sudden, it's all going away. And uh, let, let's talk about that because this is the discussion that's going on right now with the Writers Guild of America East as well as West. And it, let's let's talk a little bit about East. Now, I was reading. It was like 4,700 members in the New York City area. Is that is that pretty accurate then? Uh, we actually have 7,000 members. And uh, the reason you have that number is that um, we, have, we represent three sectors. Uh, so we have um, over 4,000 
members, about 60% of our membership, who are television or screen writers. Uh, we also have a segment of our membership who um, write for broadcast news, and that has been since the inception of WGA East. Recently, over the past eight years or so, we started to organize in the digital uh, news um, sector. So uh, these are companies like Vice and HuffPost. Um, and, uh, and so that has added another segment of membership, um, resulting in about, about the 7,000 uh, that we have now. So there's a bunch of different contracts then with all these uh, di- these divisions then because I, I bring that up because I'm a member of uh, SAG after I started out at after in 1974 and then after joined I was say about maybe 10 11 years ago now the SAG after folks are on strike but I'm not on strike because this involves broadcast and podcast that's not part of that is that kind of a similar thing that's going on with the Writers Guild. That's correct. So our broadcast news members, for instance, are not on strike with us. Our online media members are not on strike with us. However, they have shown us tremendous solidarity by supporting us on social media. Many of them join our picket lines. Uh, of course, they have actual job jobs, so um, they can't you know, be out there all the time. But when they can, uh, they are out there holding picket signs with us. Our uh, council, we, uh, we have a, a board of directors called a council. Um, uh, members who represent those sectors have been tremendous supportive of us and uh, it has really greatly increased our, our solidarity during this time. So Lisa, let's talk about the, the negotiations or lack thereof. I guess they, they came to the table, management came to the table with something that they thought was acceptable and I guess it's not. Can you, uh, can you give us some details of what they're proposing and where we stand right now? Sure. I mean, I can uh, dial back a little bit to what we uh, began with Um, Television and uh, screen writers are facing an existential crisis, Um, and that is all uh, based in uh, the existence um, and the the, uh, advent of streaming um, as a a platform. Um, We had a system that worked before, a system that paid writers adequately and that, uh, that, you know, had a a residual system um, that that, uh, continued to allow us to participate in in, um, the profits of our employers. And all that has gone by the wayside um, uh, with uh, really the the introduction of Netflix and then the um, the rush of the other companies to copy that model. Um, So all writers are asking for are a fair share. Um, it's a fair share in the the massive profits that these companies continue to make, um, and uh, and that's what we've asked for uh, from the start. Um, the companies have uh, made about 200. I think industry revenues are about 220 billion dollars last year. Um, about 30 billion dollars in entertainment profits alone. Uh, and you know when the streamers say that they do not uh, have profits, that they are not yet profitable and therefore cannot share in those profits. Um, that is not what they are telling their shareholders. You know, Netflix, I think, reported $6 billion in profits last year, and Disney and Warners uh, are expecting to, you know, be profitable um, in their streaming services uh, over the next year or so. Um, so uh, where we are right now is that um, the studios finally came back to us uh, they had not um, picked up the phone once since we went on strike in May 1st, 
Uh, they finally came back to us um, a, a couple of weeks ago with a counter. And they did move on um, some points that they said they would never move on. Um, so, you know, we were gratified and encouraged by that. However, they uh, refused to continue to negotiate. Um, so negotiations have not broken off. Uh, we, you know, do uh, continue to wait for them to uh, to counter again. Um, and uh, as you are well aware, having, you know, lived through so many uh, negotiations in, you know, your time uh, in your union, um, negotiations are, are you know, it's, it's simply a business conversation, right? We're supposed to go back and forth. Um, well, how about this and how about that? And um, uh, we are at the point now where the studios need to make uh some significant concessions in order to meet us where we stand. And the Writers Guild is united. Um, we have uh, never seen historically this kind of unity and solidarity. We have SAG-AFTRA right behind us with the same uni- unity and solidarity. And we're confident that they'll, um, they'll come uh, back to the table with, uh, with those concessions. Lisa, I have to ask you this. The fall season, when when all the new shows start, doesn't that play into this right now? I mean, aren't they going to say, well, wait a minute, this has gone too far here. We, we got to sit down. We got to really get serious. Is, is that part of the conversation right now? Or do you think that's going to happen or what? Yeah, well, that ship has long sailed. The fall shows are not going to start. And, you know, all of uh, the folks at home, waiting for their next season of Law and Order are going to tune in in September and, and uh, find um, sports and, you know, game shows, which are, which are terrific in the, of their own, but, uh, but uh, it's not, it's not the shows and uh, the movies that Americans and people around the world have come to expect and are waiting for. Um, that may be the first time a consumer is aware of this strike, but I would highly doubt it. There was a recent Gallup poll that showed that the majority of Americans uh, not only know about the strike, but are in support of us. Uh, so I, I think I think that the, the story is nearing its end. Um, the studios, uh, we believe, recognize that they have to make some changes that they were the ones who broke a business model that worked and they continued to keep their heads in the sand for years now, hoping that the, the writers and the performers and the crew and everybody else who who creates the products that they sell wouldn't notice that their paychecks are getting smaller and smaller and smaller to the point that we are no longer able to pay the rent or to pay for our groceries or for our children's school supplies. And it is simply not sustainable anymore. And we are a massive workforce. They cannot do what they do without us. And uh, once they recognize that fact, and we think that they have recognized that fact, they just need to get their story together so that they can figure out how they're going to, to fix all fix what they broke. Um, then I think that um, that, you know, we'll, we'll be in real talks then. Sad part about this, Lisa, they are trying to do without you. And that brings up the subject of artificial intelligence. So hold that thought. We'll talk about that next. So you're listening to our interview with Lisa Takayuchi Cullen, who was then the vice president of the Writers Guild of America East. Interview was done at the end of August. We'll continue with that interview right after this. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. 
It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as healthcare and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with Lyuna. Find out what it takes for Lyuna to keep America running at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters, we care for our nation's veterans, and we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers, and we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the U.S., US, Canada, Canada, and and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at UAW.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at Lyuna.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. Once again, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. Once again, we are playing the best of 2023 here on America's Workforce. And today we are featuring Lisa Takayuchi Cullen who is now the president of the Writers Guild of America East. And as you know, they had a long strike this year, lasting 148 days, tying with the 1960 strike for the second longest labor stoppage the WGA performed. Website is wgaeast.org. And here's the second part of the interview that I did with Lisa. Let's go back to New York City right now. And joining us on our live line is Lisa Takayuchi Cullen, and she is vice president of film, TV, and streaming for Writers Guild of America East, which has been on strike since May 2nd. The website, by the way, is wgaeast.org. We've been talking about the the issues in the strike with streaming. There's been a big switch here over the last, I'd say, decade here with the networks kind of losing audience and everything's going to streaming the other issue is artificial intelligence, and this is also affecting those with SAG-AFTRA. They've been on strike since the middle of July. Lisa, why don't you explain? There's a lot of people that really do not comprehend what artificial intelligence is, and it's really sweeping the, the, the country right now. In various industries, they're embracing it. 
A lot of workers are concerned about losing their jobs, and you're in that category. Can you tell us what's going on right now with this uh, with this issue? Sure. I think like most Americans, I only really heard about artificial intelligence uh, very recently. Uh, it always seemed, you know, had I heard of it at all, it seemed like something out of a sci-fi movie, and Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, kind of um, a futuristic, uh, you know, situation where there's a computer uh, that, you know, starts to think on its own and do the things that, that humans are normally uh, doing. Um And uh, to be honest, though, that assessment is not far from the truth. Um, Over uh, the, you know, the uh, recent years, technology has vastly advanced to the point that uh, computer systems really can do uh, creative work, the kind of work that we uh, presumed uh, that machines would never be, you know, capable of. Um, Can they write like a writer? Uh, Can they act like an actor? No, but the simulation can be close enough that our studio employers are very eagerly searching for ways to use those computer systems to replace us. And that is where we must draw a line. So what we are looking for, the Writers Guild of America, are guardrails so that we can protect our work uh, from um, any kind of, you know, of, of overreach. We are not saying, to be clear, that we think all of AI should go away. We don't uh, believe that that can happen. We're not Luddites. We know that technology is coming and that it will change our industry. But what we don't want, for instance, is for um, an AI-generated script to uh, to be made without any human writer input um, because we know that there is human writer input. We know that these systems are trained using our work without our permission. So we think of AI as a plagiarism machine. What they do is they, they chew up our scripts, our books, our articles, and then spit out some simulation of, of that work. They don't do it that well yet, but it's getting very good very fast. And so what we are asking for is some way to control our work and, uh, and our input on that work. You know what comes to mind here in this conversation? Writers are the creative part of a movie or TV show. So what they're essentially using is all the old creative combining all those thoughts and all those words and regenerating a new script using old creative. Am I, am I, am I framing this correctly? Is that what's going on right now? Um, That is, that is correct. And so we would like some control about what, which of our work they're using to train those systems um, as well as, you know, the work going forward. But I'd like to also, if it's okay, talk about how that affects inclusion. Um, because, you know, you might not equate uh, the advent of AI with, uh, you know, with diversity um, issues. Uh, but it plays a large role because think about the movies and TV shows that have existed up until this point. They overwhelmingly represent one 
type of person, right? One demographic um, and no other. We are finally, finally in a time of great diversity in the work that we that we produce and the work that Americans and people around the world are seeing on their television and film screens. But that work, for the most part, won't be reflected. It will be, it's a numbers game. So the, the amount of creative work that has been output so far represents, again, one viewpoint. And so right. that will be what AI spits out going forward, right? Um, the, uh-huh. the, you know, movies uh, of, the, of your, uh, you know, that, that, again, were great. Uh, were great creative works, but are, don't progress. They they do not show you know change and um, and diversity uh, that we see today in our society. So um, so we do think that 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 plays a role as well. Well, you know, there's some people, elected leaders, that kind of like that that direction. You know that, Lisa, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm told that, but I I will say that this is a bipartisan issue. I think that um, that you know Democrats and Republicans alike are are uh, sufficiently alarmed about AI and their potential to uh, to greatly impact uh, this nation's economy and workforces. Um, this. Uh, impacts everybody, as you said before, from, you know, from, you know, steelworkers to farmers to actors uh, to writers. Um, it's it's all colors of, of the collar of work, um, blue collar, white collar, pink collar. And, you know, doctors, lawyers and nurses, all of us risk being replaced by machinery. And to some extent, that is unavoidable, as we have seen throughout history, and as I'm sure you have covered time and again. Um, but, uh, but we also have to protect our humanity. We have a duty, I believe, as a country to protect our citizens and protect their income sources. And so we just have to find a humane way to work with the, the new technology that's coming. Absolutely. I see you work with uh, diverse writers of the East. That sounds like another show. Maybe we could set something up in the not too distant future when all this settles down. But I'll tell you, we're at the crossroads right now. And this is really, really scary. And I know it's exciting to some, but um, my hat's off to you, all the writers. And we'll throw in the actors, too, on behalf of my union, SAG-AFTRA. This is a tough one. I mean, even on strike since uh, May 2nd. SAG-AFTRA has joined in. There's a lot of solidarity. You certainly have 100 support from this show, America's Workforce Radio and Podcast. So you hang in there. Stay safe and stay strong. Okay, Lisa? Thank you. We so appreciate your time, and thank you to your listeners for, for caring. Once again, that was the interview that we did at the end of August with Lisa Takayuchi Cullen, who was then the vice president of the Writers Guild of America East. She is now president of that union, a union founded in 1954, representing writers in motion pictures, TV, news, as well as online media. WGAEast.org is her website. Well, that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up tomorrow, two presidents, the president of the United Steelworkers and the president of the Postal Workers Union. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.